Hi, welcome to our latest episode of Remarks and Reflections, a podcast offering insights into topics that are important to the Hillbrook community and the broader worlds of education and parenting. I'm your host, Head of School Mark Silver, and I invite you to join us for what we hope are lively conversations about a whole range of ideas and issues that connect with our vision to inspire children to achieve their dreams and make, reach beyond themselves to make a difference in the world. Today, I'm joined by Head of Middle School Amy Hand, who joined Hillbrook just this year. Prior to Hillbrook, Amy worked as an educator for 17 years in New York City. She has taught both middle and upper school math, served as the middle school dean of student life and leadership at Spence School, and most recently as the middle school and upper school math department head at Packer Collegiate. In 2017, she co-founded MathSense, a consulting firm that provides curriculum guidance to administrators and tailored on-site professional development to math departments. In addition to an undergraduate degree in mathematics and philosophy from Colgate, Amy has earned several advanced degrees, including a Master of Science for Teachers in Mathematics from the University of New Hampshire and a Master of Education from the Klingenstein Center at Teachers College, Columbia University. Welcome, Amy. Thanks for having me. It's great to be together. Um, so uh, you're just passing the halfway point of your first year at Hillbrook. So I w- thought maybe we could start just by, you know, what are some of your noticings about the school and the community? I think that there are two things that have really jumped out at me as things that really distinguish Hillbrook's middle school and make it a unique experience for both educators and families. The first is the degree of authentic student agency that kids have here. A lot of middle schools do try really hard to to care about that and to make that a priority. And there are just some structural and program elements that make that degree of student agency really unique here. So one is the reach beyond experience. So those are the um, the spaces we've created for kids to reach beyond themselves and make a difference in the world. We have a two hour block every Tuesday for the middle school where they can where kids can pursue um, a topic of interest to them. And those things tend to lie outside the more traditional um, academic, scope and sequence. So they will explore things that matter to them, things like the refugee experience or things like um, water quality in the Bay Area. And they'll work with a teacher who's equally passionate about that. So they have um, choices uh, about six times a year to select one of those experiences that is really meaningful to them that they want to pursue with the guidance of a, a passionate teacher. Yeah, those, so, those have actually been, those are a real favorite of mine too. And I think, you know, one of the things that's interesting about Reach Beyond Block and then the Reach Beyond Week, the, those um, similar experiences are that they're taught by not just teachers, but also by um, senior leaders and then also other, other members of the staff. Um, what was the Reach Beyond Block that you actually have participated? What are the ones you've done so far? So I, my favorite so far was a Reach Beyond Block that I taught with a middle school art teacher, Laura Hale, and it was called the Happiness Hypothesis. So we explored what it means to be happy and how different people, whether they are um, scientists or psychologists or philosophers, how they've defined happiness. And then we looked at some of the research on what actually makes people happy, which um, as many of our audience probably knows is not always intuitive. And we used those lessons and we used our time with Reach Beyond to practice some of those lessons. So for example, um, we know that physical exercise and sleep is uh, one way that people tend to feel much happier. And so we learned about the the science behind that. And then we did some exercise and took a little nap together in our Reach Beyond. We also had some Reach Beyonds where we uh, pursued different different activities uh, that 
helped us gain better mindfulness, uh, which is also a way that uh, scientists have said, brain scientists have said that uh, people can be happier. So we did a bunch of different activities that were all geared towards learning about that. And just by asking big questions, these natural opportunities to be interdisciplinary occur. Uh, because the question is so big and broad that we can pursue answers in lots of different ways. So that was a that was a really great one. Oh, I love that. I'm continually reminded how fortunate we are as a school that and as leaders to get a chance to still work with kids. And at so many schools, um, you know, the middle school head wouldn't even be in an activity with kids other than occasionally popping it out. And it's so great that you had a, you have chances to like really engage with kids and in meaningful ways. Yes, I agree. And especially in my first year, it's been the absolute best way that I've gotten to know the kids. So I, so I cut you off though. So, so what were some of the other noticings that you've had? So you talked a little bit about agency. Oh yes. So agency and that also manifests with the electives periods. A lot of schools have electives. Um, I don't know of another school that has electives that meet with the same frequency and for the same amount of time that uh, more traditional academic classes meet. So kids have their, their interests and their passions honored uh, and they really do have a chance to create in a meaningful way their, their academic program here. So that's the first one. The other, uh, factor that I think distinguishes Hillbrook and its middle school is the level of meaningful collaboration among adults here. So in addition to meeting weekly at grade levels to discuss the grade matters and to discuss student support, we also have all of our integrated studies classes and all of our Reach Beyond experiences and many of our other classes uh, with two teachers in the room at, uh, for most of those experiences. So that's great for so many reasons. One is that um, you know the partnership between teachers leads to more thoughtful planning and a more meaningful experience for kids. Uh, the other one is that I think, you know, being an educator for many years, I, I have found, and I know that many teachers feel this way, the best professional development for teachers, the best way to continue to get better and better and to hone your practice as an educator is to work in partnership with other people. Um, it's by getting that feedback and having that dynamic exchange with others that you really grow and learn. So it's fantastic as a form of professional development. Uh, students benefit from the dynamism of a class what that is team taught rather than just listening to one voice or one perspective the whole time. And really importantly, teachers get to know students uh, when they when they team teach so frequently in different contexts, which helps them get to know students in a different way. Um, you know, we've all seen, of course, the way that a student shows up in a music class might be very different from the way they show up in an English class or the way that they participate in a math class might be very different from the way that they work in groups in a history class. So it's great for teachers to get to know students deeply that way. Um, and then also last really big important <laughs> way that that uh, manifests is teachers know the curriculum really, really well at Hillbrook, not just for their own class, but they know what those curricular connections are across uh, grade levels within their subject and then also across disciplines within their grade level. And when we're able to exploit those connections between content, we are able to make the program that kids experience more connected and more cohesive to kids. Great. Now, you, you started by saying something about agency. One of my favorite things you've done this year was an early change that you made um, that was a direct result of student agency. And it's, it's one of those changes that in the adult world feels, um, not, I'm not sure how, how significant it feels to the adults, but when you announced this change at FLAG, um, <laughs> it may have been the loudest cheer that we've had from the middle school all year. Can you tell us a little bit about that change? Sure. So we've had a, a 
dress code policy for a while that said on free dress days, which is about every other Friday, um, students were able to wear certain non-uniform items. And leggings had not been on that list at the start of the school year. And this had become a point of of great advocacy for students. And so I got different kinds of uh, petitions uh, sent to my office um, of varying degrees of quality and, um, you know, depending on the age and the amount of time that kids had put into it. And so I was able to use that as a, a learning opportunity for kids. And the message that I kept giving kids was, you know, we want to listen to you as adults in the community and uh, your voice is important. And you should also be aware that the amount of time and thoughtfulness and attention that you give a cause that you care about is the amount of time and attention and thoughtfulness that you will receive in return. And some kids really took that to heart. And so I had a team of seventh grade girls who worked really hard at um, thoughtfully uh, advocating for the the change that they wanted to make to the dress code, which was including leggings in, in Friday dress. So they created this PowerPoint presentation for me. They got uh, a petition. They interviewed their classmates. They surveyed their classmates on what they cared about with the dress code. And they were able to make a, a few really thoughtful arguments, some involving gender equity, some involving... Um, practical concerns like comfort and what would allow them to focus in their classes. And um, I couldn't I couldn't ignore that that level of thoughtfulness. And so I was happy to work with them and to announce the change. Yeah, it was really and it really was, I think, a, a powerful lesson. And we, we talk a lot about it. Um, I often use examples. Uh, I remember, you know, one of the examples I've used a lot this year is we had a third grader last year who wrote a persuasive speech about a second basketball hoop on the third, fourth grade playground, which ended up happening in, you know, in a similar manner to what you're describing. It was well thought out. It was, um, it was doable. It made sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to find those concrete opportunities to share with kids moments where um, they can ask for something and advocate for something and actually um, see it come true. Um, and then hopefully that then feeds, you know, bleeds over into bigger conversations that I know we're having as a school around, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and, and, and other topics, perhaps um, broader than just, you know, leggings on Friday. Definitely. Yeah. I think the, the biggest takeaway, hopefully, for the kids is that they see tangible ways in which their voices are heard and honored by adults. And that's great for trust building, and it's great for community building, and it leads to a, a healthier exchange between the adults and kids. And that's probably a helpful segue into, I mean, I think what is certainly, so I, I started my career, I spent a number of years as a middle school head, and um, actually before that I was a dean of students in a high school. And so, you know, I know one of the, um, you know, one of the biggest challenges in your role is discipline, um, you know, and, and it is something that um, is difficult and, of course, also so critical to, to the success of a, of a community and to the development of a healthy culture. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you approach discipline, um, you know, and, and uh what you've seen in your first you know, six months at Hillbrook? Sure. I think the most important aspect of the approach is that it has to be a proactive approach and not a responsive approach. So when I think about student discipline and behavior, it, it has to be tied to social emotional learning. So it's not just about responding when kids make a mistake, which they will in middle school, but it's really about anticipating that this is a time where kids are learning and a lot of the, the learning they're doing is social and they, that's going to manifest in some in some behaviors that are not always healthy. So um, it's about anticipating what some of those mistakes might be, knowing middle schoolers, and then giving them some of the tools through our social emotional curriculum that helps them manage conflict, helps them make good decisions, helps them kind of have like a, 
uh, almost like a checklist of like, what are the considerations? What, what do I want to think about when I'm in conflict or when I'm having a, a problem at school? So that they have different tools, things like thinking about their own values or things like talking to their parents or things like um, sleeping on something when you're upset instead of reacting um, out of anger or, or you know, a, a another unproductive emotion. So I would say the first feature of, the, of, our, um, of our approach is about being proactive rather than reactive. Another aspect of our approach is that we do uh, have the understanding that kids will make mistakes and that uh, the lens that we use when we're approaching these mistakes is a lens of learning and education. So that means that every mistake involves a conversation with kids, sometimes depending on you know what what's involved. Sometimes that would be with an advisor. Sometimes that would be with the grade dean. Sometimes it would be with me. Um, we always partner with parents when we're having conversations with kids about mistakes they've made. And also to, to contribute to the learning, we use logical consequences as much as possible. So what that means for, for us is that when kids make a mistake, it's important as much as possible that they see what the, what the logical consequences are for that mistake and not that adults in the community are giving them some sort of arbitrary punishment because we want them to, um, <laughs> to suffer for the mistakes that they've made. So, um, the, those are some of the, the hallmarks. And then, um, in addition to that, the other considerations we use beyond learning are just safety of the community and fostering community values that are aligned with who we are as a school. Yeah, I know. And I know, of course, one of the, um, biggest pushbacks that I know you occasionally receive, and I certainly receive in my role can sometimes be, so why don't you tell us more about the various disciplinary situations that mm -hmm. have taken place? Why don't, you know, why don't you share out more broadly? And since I've been at Hillbrook and I'm, I have always been very conscious of trying to preserve the confidentiality of, of children and families um, and really trying to preserve the dignity of children. And I know you, you, know, you have been very consistent in following that as well. Um, other other thoughts as, as 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 parents ask you that question, mm -hmm. or you know, um, and I think oftentimes ask it without having really fully thought through um, what it looks like in a in a small community when you're talking about mistakes that children have made and, and how we've responded. Yeah, I think it's a tough balance to strike. I think that is one of the biggest challenges of the job, and I empathize with parents and with kids who see that there's been a violation in the community and want some sort of reassurance that um, it's been dealt with in a in a thoughtful way. So I acknowledge that. And um, I also acknowledge that when people are entrusting our kids with us, we are asking in turn from the parents trust to trust that we're responding to kids mistakes in a way that's consistent with our values and in a way that ensures the safety of um, everybody in the community. And that uh, the reason we, we don't share more, as you say, has to do with the dignity of each child in the community. When we do share things, it's always in support of students. So, you know, for instance, if we know that one kid is struggling with physical boundaries in certain spaces, then we'll give teachers a heads up like, hey, here's a conversation we had with a kid about physical boundaries and respect for um, his or her classmates. So here's something to keep an eye on and reinforce with him. But we don't share more than we need to so that kids, um, so that kids trust us and families trust us. And uh, we've found that that works best in terms of having kids learn from mistakes and building trust in the community. Right. So... Uh wanted to take a moment you know, obviously uh, a big piece of middle school are you know kind of learning the core skills in math mm -hmm. writing world language 
in addition to some of the integrated work that we do in, in other disciplines. Um, can you speak a little bit to, to some of the things that you've seen uh, in terms of the, the program that we're providing in middle school around, saving me particularly around math and writing and, and what jumps out at you as, as you've spent time in those classrooms? Sure. So one uh, one thing I've noticed is that the schedule was designed really thoughtfully to acknowledge that there are some key distinctions between different content areas. So for instance, with our science and history curriculum, they meet in the um, they meet in two hour blocks twice a week with the uh, English and math classes and also language, foreign language classes. Those meet four times a week for an hour because we, we recognize that kids benefit from having more regular class meetings and having regular exposure that you can build on. Um, I've worked, I've taught math within lots of different schedules and um, I've taught math in some block classrooms and I've taught math for shorter periods more frequently. And I think one thing that math teachers often bump up against is the fact that even if you have the same amount of time, if you have that time in a longer chunk fewer times a week, there's only so much that kids can absorb. And there's there's almost like a, a marinating period <laughs> that has to happen with kids with certain content in order for them to then absorb that and then um, be able to build on that in a, in a subsequent learning experience. And so our schedule acknowledges that reality really thoughtfully. Um, so that we can, so that we have uh, certain skills-based classes meeting for an hour, four times a week, and then um, other classes meeting with different structures. You know, obviously I can speak more fluently about math <laughs> than I can about English at this point, but I think one thing I've seen in both classes is a really great balance, which is always critical um, in any subject, between like the skill-based orientation and then the critical thinking orientation. So one thing I've noticed in in math is the kids have really dedicated time to skill building and to practice. They also have a lot of time to problem solve in class and to develop the kind of critical thinking capacities that will make them not just better um, like implementers of algorithms, but better thinkers and better mathematicians. So I, I see an analog to that in English classes where there is, of course, that dedicated time to vocabulary, to grammar, to those sort of toolbox type um, capacities. There's also a ton of critical thinking. There's a lot of... Um, reading together and writing and, um, you know, having time to develop the sorts of persuasive skills of writing or to, to really untangle a difficult text. So they, teachers make time for that balance and they make time for both. And I think kids benefit from that balance. Great. Well, thanks. I've got w one final question. Um, you know, I know you've worked at some really strong independent schools um, before coming to Hillbrook. Um, and like, what lessons did you learn from those schools and how did those influence the work you're doing today? I just touched on one of the biggest lessons I've taken away from my my years in independent schools. One is about balance. I think a lot of times um, parents and educators can fall fall victim to thinking when there's this kind of heated debate in education, whether it's around you know are you teaching skills or are you teaching concepts, or are you te uh, should kids be learning in groups all of the time or should they have more time for independent thinking? The the answer is never at one end of that spectrum. It's really always about finding the right balance for the kids in your population and uh, for the teachers that you're working with. So about finding balance and not believing that it's it's one or the other. Um, another, I think the biggest lesson for anybody working with kids is to keep kids in relationships uh, whenever you're dealing with a sticky situation. 
um, or a conflict to keep kids and relationships at the center of our work. So thinking, you know, using a lens of what conditions at a school will make relationships stronger because stronger relationships lead to better learning. What sorts of conditions at a school will lead to stronger partnership between educators and parents. You know, I don't think schools ever suffer from a lack of good ideas. <laughs> the reality is there are always too many good ideas and schools have to set priorities and figure out which initiatives to pursue. And so I like to use that lens of what's going to create stronger partnerships and um, better relationships. And then the last is just the importance of strong leadership at, at schools. And for me being a, a strong leader, and I know for others on our senior leadership team, it means listening to different perspectives, keeping our values at the center of our, our decision-making process, and then not rushing into responses. So making sure that, again, if we're dealing with conflict or we're, if we're grappling with something, that we're taking time to understand to understand the problem before jumping to a response. Great. Well, you know, it has been such a privilege to have you um, as part of this team this year. I, I um, obviously am quite biased since I was part of the process to select you. But, um, you know, when we when we knew you were coming to Hillbrook, we knew you were going to be an, a fantastic addition. And um, in Thank just you. In it's a, a short amount of time, well, in a short amount of time, you've done really a great work. And it's I'm really excited to see and where you're going to be able to take the middle school in the years ahead. So thanks, and thanks for spending a few minutes with me this morning to and with helping our families learn a little bit more about you um, and, uh, and getting some more insight into the middle school. Thank you. It's my pleasure. You've been listening to Remarks and Reflections, a podcast of Hillbrook School. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can also find the Remarks and Reflections blog post at hillbrook.us another space where we are looking to connect with and engage members of our community in conversations important to our school, education, and parenting. And as always, you can find our school on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course, our website at hillbrook.org. Thanks for listening. Have a great week and be your best.